wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Per Pro Wrestling Sheet, Samoa Joe is reportedly injured again. Though this time the injury apparently did not occur in the ring, but rather during a, get this, commercial shoot. For what I don't know, but according to the report from Pro Wrestling Sheet, they indicated that I guess he took a pretty bad table bump or a bad table break, whatever, bumped his head pretty bad, and he might be out for a quote-unquote considerable amount of time. That's awful news. This guy cannot catch a commercial break. All right. Low-hanging fruit aside, this is terrible news. I saw a lot of people say that in the comments of the uh, of the tweet from Pro Wrestling Sheet, so I had to throw that out there. But in all seriousness, this is terrible news. This is the third time the Samoan submission machine has been injured in the last five or six months alone. So he was out recently with a concussion. Uh, not too, too long, but he suffered a concussion, I believe, in that tag team title match the night after the Royal Rumble alongside Kevin Owens against uh, Seth Rollins and Murphy. And he suffered a concussion there. He was kept out of the ring, you know, per protocol, whatever, for about a week or two. Came back at a live event. Um, I think maybe not this past weekend, but the weekend before that. Wrestled on Raw, and he wasn't injured in that eight-man tag team match. He was injured, like, again, during a commercial shoot. And this news is just coming out today. I literally shook my head when I read that. This guy literally cannot catch a break. It's ridiculous. Um, now not only the injuries occurring inside the ring, but it's outside the ring as well. I mean, I thought I read that on kayfabe news. That's how ridiculous of a headline that was. And again, before the concussion and before this, he was out for months last year with, I think, a broken thumb for not a couple weeks, not even a month or two. He was out for like three or four months, Samoa Joe was. He last wrestled in 2019 at that MSG Raw show that I was at, and that triple threat with Baron Corbin, King Corbin, whatever, in that ricochet. I think he was pinned, too. Um, he disappeared from TV after that. We found out that he was hurt. He filled in for Dio Madden when he was taken off the Raw commentary team for a while, and he did a good job, but it's like you want to see Samoa Joe in the ring, obviously. He's one of the best on the mic that they have, and they've never really properly booked Samoa Joe by and large in the three years he's been on the main roster, but you still want to see him succeed. Um, so he came back to action early on this year in January. I think he you know, officially returned in the last Raw of last year, another show that I was at. And then I think he had his first match back on either the first or second Raw of 2020. And he, now he's injured again. And that's not even in taking into account the other injuries he suffered throughout his WWE career. He was hurt back in the summer of 2017. I forgot with what, but I feel like it was a shoulder injury. He was out for not too, too long, maybe about a month or two. I think it was in that tag team match, actually, where it was him and The Miz 
versus Roman Reigns and John Cena. And I thought, oh, great, we're finally going to get a John Cena-Samoa Joe program. I mean, Joe was injured anyway, but it was pretty clear from that point forward they were headed towards a Roman Reigns and John Cena program. So we never got that dream match. As I, you know, uh, I think a lot of people would call John Cena versus Samoa Joe one-on-one a dream match. And honestly, at this point, I'm not even sure if we're ever going to get it. Um, so he was out then for about two months. He was back for a few months, ready to compete in his first Royal Rumble and WrestleMania because he missed WrestleMania 33 despite being healthy. Um, They just didn't have a place for him on the show. And then he got hurt early on in 2018. I think he rolled his ankle or something very simple in a match with Rhino on Raw. And he was out for, again, another three or four months, out until the night after WrestleMania 34. So he was at WrestleMania last year, got that dominant win, as the United States champion over Rey Mysterio. That was a cool moment. But this guy's career, like, yeah, the booking hasn't really done him many favors, but the injuries are also not helping his cause at all. Like, if I'm WWE, how can you possibly justify pushing this guy at this point when he has suffered so many injuries? And I know the injury-prone label is a very sensitive thing nowadays uh, with concussions, because he did suffer a concussion a few weeks ago. So it's hard to label someone injury-prone. Concussions can happen to anyone. You know, uh, breaks and tears, that shit, I think, earns people the reputation of being injury-prone. And he's had a lot of those from, you know, broken thumbs, and now whatever this is. He might be out with another concussion. I don't know what this is. Um, But again, the report indicated that he might be out for a considerable period of time. Then again, they said the same thing about AJ Styles, and he came back literally this week on Raw within three weeks. So you never really know, but if it's a head injury, it might be something else. I think AJ had a separated shoulder. That's different. Um, So I I don't even really know exactly what the injury that he suffered was. The report from Pro Wrestling Sheet didn't really exactly make that clear. But the bottom line is that the guy gets hurt a lot. It's like almost comical at this point. Like, it's sad to see it's depressing because Samoa Joe was so good. But he's been injured at least, as you know, as far as we know, five times, including concussions, since 2017 in WWE. He's getting older. His body is kind of breaking down on him, and I get it. But there's a lot of people that are older than he is that don't get often as, as you know, don't get hurt as often as he does. So it sucks, um, and hopefully he is back soon, but I don't ever see him getting his just due as world champion or really any sort of meaningful push in WWE after this. How could they possibly look at him as being anything but injury-prone? And I hate to say it, but like, you know, Daniel Bryan overcame that stigma, which is great. You know, he was injured a lot. Um, He had the neck issue. He had the, you know, what caused him to retire in the first place you know, many, many years ago, and they still put the WWE Championship back on him for a while, not a week or two, not a night. He was WWE Champion for, what, from November to April, about four or five months? That's a long time, Um, and he had a great run as champion, so hey, maybe not all hope is lost for Samoa Joe just yet, but reading that report does not exactly instill a lot of faith in me or any other fan out there who would like to see Samoa Joe pushed at a meaningful level in WWE. But this is WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, February 20th, 2020. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, I am Graham Jesus Matthews, of course. And we have a stack show per usual. We're talking all about NXT TakeOver Portland from a Sunday night. Another stellar show from the black and gold brand. Probably top to bottom, one of the best takeovers they've ever done. And I can say that with full confidence, having been at a ton of them, having seen all of them. Um, and I'm still partial, you know, to TakeOver New York. And I'll talk more about that in my review coming up shortly. But TakeOver Portland, again, 
in-ring-wise, wrestling-wise, might be one of the best takeovers they've ever done. And I said the same thing about TakeOver Dallas, TakeOver Our Evolution, and they just keep raising the bar with every show they put on, and it's so cool to see. So we'll talk about that today. I'll give my quick thoughts on Raw. Not a ton happened on Monday night, so again, not a full-on in-depth analysis of the show per usual. Um, I'll just kind of give my quick takes on the show and specifically that Matt Hardy segment that kicked off the night, because I thought that was stellar. The episode really peaked at that point, but overall it was a solid show, um, and as, as it has been in recent weeks. Um, I'll break down Dynamite NXT from this week. I thought NXT was all right, um, not nearly as strong or as exciting as other recent episodes they put on, um, which has kind of been the norm for the show recently. It's weird, because last week's show wasn't great, this week's show, I mean, they're good shows, but they're not like, oh, you need to see it, you know? Um, but the takeover was amazing. That's the, that's the weird thing. And then Dynamite has been putting on its best programming yet, in my opinion. I thought last week's show, as they said here on WrestleRant Radio, was one of the best they've ever done. And then this week's show was, again, one of the best they've ever done, if not the best. I think last week was, was probably the best. Um, this one came close, though. I thought it was another awesome episode of Dynamite from AEW on Wednesday night. And it is official. Um, quick side note here. Um, that they are doing Double or Nothing. I think I forgot to mention this a week or two ago, but they are going to Las Vegas for Double or Nothing 2, which is awesome. Revolution coming up next Saturday. Ton to look forward to on the AEW side. Um, And then also today we're talking Super Showdown next Thursday. So uh, I know obviously the show goes up on Thursdays, but since the earliest I'll probably put up the show is like early, early first thing Thursday morning, it might be just in my best interest to give my predictions now for the pay-per-view since I think it's starting at 12 or 1 p.m. Eastern time, so it might actually be 2 p.m. I don't remember exactly, but um, that's coming up next Thursday. Might as well give my predictions for the pay-per-view now uh, for next week's Super Showdown uh, event in Saudi Arabia. And uh, before we go any further with any of that, I do have a few rumors to address from the WWE world in regards to WrestleMania and the Hall of Fame. But before we even get into that stuff, you guys could check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single week right here on NextAirWrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podcast, uh, what is it, uh, what, the, what the fuck is it called, uh, Podbean, I'm sorry, not Podcast, I was going to say Podcast when I'm thinking I'm fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin here, um, Podbean, we're on Google Play, we're on uh, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, really, wherever you find your podcasts, we're probably there, so subscribe to the show, rate the show, review the show, all that stuff is greatly appreciated, you can find me on the social platforms on Twitter, um, at WrestleRant on Facebook as well, facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews and also on YouTube, youtube.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. Or, I'm sorry, uh, youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews. No dots there. Uh, real quickly on the YouTube channel, I did do my first two full reviews of the Ruthless Aggression show that premiered last Sunday uh, before TakeOver Portland. I think that morning, actually. And then the second episode went up Monday morning. And it was a great show. I mean... A lot of revisionist history there, a lot of rewriting history from the WWE side, which is no different than the Monday Night War show they put out years ago, you know, saying that, oh, John Cena was always destined to be the one, and I know they touched upon Cena almost getting fired in 02, but they kind of made it out to look like, oh, Cena was always destined to be that next guy, like, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit, like, I don't believe that for a single second, Um, but overall, the shows were really, really good, fun to relive, a very underrated era in WWE, I feel like they do not talk enough about the ruthless aggression era in WWE. It's all about the attitude era. It's all about this, all about that. But we never hear enough about the ruthless aggression era. Very glad we're getting that. 
And kind of also on a similar note, well, first and foremost, check out the Ruthless Aggression Show on the network and my reviews as well on the YouTube channel. But also on a similar note, they are putting out a documentary next week. I'm sorry, not next week, in two or three weeks, I think, whenever Elimination Chamber is. So Super Showdown is next week, and then I think Chamber is the following weekend. Not the first weekend in March, but like, it's March 8th, whatever. There's a documentary going up right after that. Um, and I know there's a new, a new Broken Skull Sessions with Big Show this Sunday, which is cool. But after Elimination Chamber, there is a documentary airing on FCW. Another very underrated aspect of WWE's lore, I believe. Uh, we hear a lot about OVW and the stars that produced in NXT, but not enough about FCW. And a lot of stars came through there as well. I know Rollins was the first ever NXT champion, but he was signed by WWE, I think, as early as 2009 or 2010. And I think he was signed before. No, nah, he was. I think he was signed after um, Daniel Bryan. I think he was signed in 2010. But he was a part of the WWE system for quite some time before he finally got his big break in NXT and then later the main roster. But he really cut his teeth first in FCW. Same thing with Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, uh, Damian Sandow, Dolph Ziggler, Kofi Kingston. I think Ryder and Hawkins went through OVW, but. Um, you know, I said Damian Sandow, Cesaro, Cassius Ono, a lot of those guys before they went to NXT, first reported to FCW. Rusev was another one. Um, so it's very Sheamus. There's a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of their stars today actually went through FCW. A lot of the guys that didn't go through NXT, people like Sheamus, Ziggler, Kofi, blah, 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 went through FCW. So very cool to see some uh see them shine some light on that. That's going up on March 8th. Um, a lot to look forward to, including WrestleMania coming up in a mere, what, five or six weeks? Not even, probably seven weeks at this point, the first weekend in April. Hearing a lot of rumors going around regarding potential matchups for the show, including, and this report broke, um, I think per, not WrestleVotes, um, it has been confirmed by various sources, including Dave Meltzer, but I, it's hard to remember the sources sometimes, but I'm not making this shit up, you gotta trust me on that. Um, it's been heavily rumored since last Thursday, right after I put up this week's, or last week's show, that we might be getting The Undertaker versus AJ Styles for WrestleMania 36. And on paper, that's a match that intrigues me. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's a dream match or it's a match I've wanted for years, which is semi-true, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. In a perfect world, and I've said this a million times before, I would not trot The Undertaker back out there for one more match at WrestleMania. I know he didn't wrestle last year, which is probably why he's wrestling this year. Same thing with John Cena, who I'll talk about in a second. Um, but in an ideal world, I really wish he would have retired years ago. Like, I think WrestleMania 33 was the perfect time for him to retire, considering the way that match with Roman ended and the aftermath and everything else but they continue to bring him back for more matches. And he hasn't really had a match match at Mania since then. That was three years ago. The match with Cena wasn't really a match, let's face it. It was more of an angle than anything. And then last year, he didn't even wrestle at WrestleMania. He, he came back, I think, for another, maybe just one match. Or no, two matches. The match with Goldberg at Super Showdown, which sucked. And then the tag team match at Extreme Rules with uh, Roman against Sheen and Drew. So he'll be back in Mania this year, I would assume. Um, he isn't back quite yet, but they've always brought him back, usually in March anyway, right before WrestleMania. They still have Super Showdown and Elimination Chamber, so I get that they're waiting on it. Um, and this is not set in stone. They could always change plans between now and WrestleMania. I, I get that. Um, but I do think Taker and AJ is probably the best-case scenario for Taker. If not even AJ, not even the phenomenal one, can get a passable match, a serviceable match 
out of The Undertaker WrestleMania? No one can. And I say, oh, hang it up at that point. Again, ideally, he should have retired years ago. WrestleMania 33 comes to mind. WrestleMania 28 comes to mind. Uh, when he went 20-0, I think that would have been the perfect time for him to retire. After the streak was broken in 2014 at WrestleMania 30, all would have been proper times for him to walk away. And he didn't. He continues to come back. And I talked about this a little bit on the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast, Broken Skull Sessions, a few months ago, about how, you know, not that he would love to come back, but I think he was doing a favor to to Vince. And he was like, you know, Vince kind of convinced him to come back, whether it was a financial thing or whatever, um, whether he felt that he was indebted to Vince. I'm not really exactly sure what the reason was. Only him and, you know, only Taker and Vince know for sure. But he keeps coming back. And uh, if he's coming back for one more match of WrestleMania 20, um, uh, 36, I'm sorry. I, I get all the numbers mixed up because WrestleMania 37, I've heard a lot about that being in L.A. next year, which is set in stone. I think I mentioned that last week here on the show. Um, but I don't mind Taker and AJ Styles. Now, I would have done the match. This is what I was booking here on this show years ago. What I would have done was Taker versus AJ Styles at the Royal Rumble in, what was it, Houston? No, it was San Antonio in 2017. AJ had been champion for a few months. He was at the, maybe not the peak of his career because he's had a lot of success since then, but he was in the midst of a pretty good run as WWE champion. That was right in the middle of his rookie year. Um, He became WWE champion. He was riding high, beat John Cena a bunch of times, beat Dean Ambrose a bunch of times. He was having great matches, show after show after show. And then he was riding into the Royal Rumble, and ultimately at that event he faced John Cena, who knocked off AJ to win back the WWE title for a 16th time, record-setting time, tying Ric Flair's imaginary record, even though it's more than that in reality. But in, according to WWE, it's it's uh you know it, it's 16 titles from Ric Flair. So Cena ties the record, only to drop the belt to Bray Wyatt at Elimination Chamber two weeks later. Literally two weeks later, did he drop the belt in that Elimination Chamber match? And then Bray Wyatt dropped it to Randy Orton at WrestleMania, who then dropped it to Jinder Mahal at Backlash. So it was a fucking game of hot potato back in 2017 with the title. What I would have done, and I said this a lot back then, what I would have done with the belt was have Taker beat AJ, which I know it sounds comical now, but, you know, it would have given Taker one more title run. He would have won it in his home state of Texas. The crowd would have gone, would have gone nuts for it, I think. It would have been a cool match, and Taker would have been three years younger. AJ would have been... You know, I mean, I did not that AJ is any worse now, but he was kind of in the, he was on a roll back then. He was killing it. So I feel like he would have been more motivated to have a better match with Taker back in 2017 compared to 2020. So anyway, um, Taker would have won the belt from AJ for one final time. Because you got to remember, Taker has not held a championship period, not even a world title, but a, a title period in WWE in 10 years, almost exactly. Um, almost in, I think it was from the 22nd of February in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that he lost the World Heavyweight Championship inside the Elimination Chamber to Chris Jericho when he's not held the title since. And obviously there's a reason for that. He's getting older. He's not really around as often. That was kind of like his final run as champion. He won the belt, I think, in October. And, you know, he had a couple good matches. I think people forget that Taker at that point could still really go. Um, you know, the matches with Punk were good. Um, the match where he won it from Punk was, was good inside Hell in the Cell. It wasn't great, but it was all right. Um, he had a couple good matches with Batista, Rey Mysterio, and a few other people, and then ultimately dropped it inside that Elimination Chamber. So, you know, that was probably his final run, but it would have been cool if he got one more run in 2017. And that would have built to, I would not have had Cena win the Rumble, first of all, but you could have had Cena win Elimination Chamber, which he ended up losing, but he could have won that, gone on to face Taker at WrestleMania, and would have become WWE Champion one final time. 
And then if you want to have him drop it to Jinder or someone else, then okay, whatever. Um, then it really wouldn't have mattered much. But it would, it would have been cool for him to win his 16th title at WrestleMania, tie the record. You can get AJ involved in there somehow if you really wanted to go that route. What I would have done with AJ instead, I'm not really sure. Maybe you probably would have still done AJ and Shane. Um, or, I mean, I know Bray and Orton was the ultimate title match at WrestleMania, but then just do that non-title. It didn't really need the WWE Championship. There was no reason for that match to be for the WWE title. I know Bray got his big title reign, but... I mean, you could have built that later on by having him beat Orton at WrestleMania and not having Orton beat him, which was still one of the dumbest booking decisions in recent memory. That whole feud was butchered by the end there. But um, that's what I would have done. It's three years older now. It's not as appealing now as it was then because Taker is older, AJ is older. But again, AJ is still very, very good. Still one of the best, if not the best, in that company. So if he can't get a good match out of Taker at WrestleMania 36, nobody can. Hang it up, dude. Again, Willie, probably not, but I'm just saying hypothetically here. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic. I am. I think that's a far better option than other things they could do with Taker WrestleMania. The idea of a Goldberg-Taker rematch from Super Showdown last year to have Goldberg avenge the loss to Taker does absolutely nothing for me. It might be a case of, uh, you know, like Brock and Taker had that awful first match, and I say first because they had a whole feud back in 2002-2003, but since Brock's been back, you know, their first match since Brock returned was at WrestleMania 30. And that match sucked. I mean, I know Taker got concussed and whatever, but it just wasn't a good match. And that was where Brock broke the streak. And the rematches I thought were very, very good. The SummerSlam main event I thought was great. And the rematch inside Hell in the Cell was even better. So it might be a case where, like, oh, the first match went wrong, they were hurt, it was hot out, whatever the fuck it is, um, whatever their excuse was this time. And then they go on to have better rematches. This is not a case... I mean, I didn't even want to see that rivalry revisited, to be honest with you. I had no desire to see Brock and Taker again, but they exceeded my expectations. Uh, Goldberg and Taker is even worse off because Brock's at least far more, you know, regular active than Goldberg or Taker is. So it made sense for him to beat Taker, capitalize off the win, and build off of that going into 2016. With Goldberg getting his win back over Taker, what does it even really accomplish, you know? So I do not want to see that. Um, there's also the prospect of, you know, Bray Wyatt losing the Universal Championship to Goldberg at Super Showdown next week. We've heard a lot of talk about that um, via interference from The Undertaker. Again, no thank you. Um, the Fiend and Taker would only work for me as a squash match. Their first match was not that good. It was, it was all right, and it was better than the Brock match the year before, but that's not saying much because that match was so bad. Um, and they had another match, I think, at... What was it? Uh, Survivor Series that year? I think it was Bray and Luke Harper versus the Brothers of Destruction on the exact 25-year anniversary of Taker's debut. I mean, it was a complete squash. The Wyatt family looked like complete losers. Um, so, yeah, I have no desire to see Taker and Bray Wyatt again. I know he's the fiend now, but unless he attacks him or puts him on the shelf or as a WrestleMania match, honestly, if it's a full-on match, I have zero interest in that. And then no one else really comes to mind. Does Cena take her match again? Does Cena really need to avenge the lost Undertaker? Not really. I know people were talking about that two years ago, like, oh, they'll build to a rematch next year. Who cares at this point? Honestly, that's a match I wanted to see years ago, and it's not the same anymore. Um, AJ, at least, we know can still go, and, and Cena can go too, I'm sure, but I don't know. AJ, I trust more out of getting a better match from Undertaker than Cena. Because if Cena faced Taker, it's not about the match. That would have been more about the suspense of whether he could break the streak. And that's been gone for years. So if that's gone at this point, it doesn't even matter. Um, you might as well just have him 
you know, you might as well just have um, AJ face Taker instead. So I don't hate the match. I'm honestly pretty open to it, and we'll see how they build to it. They kind of planted the seeds this week on Raw by having AJ come out on the show, and he was like, I think it's the Takai Trophy, or I don't know how exactly you pronounce it, but the trophy, the gauntlet match at Super Showdown. He was saying, oh, once I win the trophy, I'll be the greatest of all time. I'll be better than the entire NWO and Hulk Hogan. And he even mentioned The Undertaker, which I'm sure was designed to get fans stirring about the idea of a potential match and playing off the rumors that the match is happening. So I, I feel like they're headed in that direction, and uh, I'm excited. It's, it's a big match for AJ, if nothing else, and AJ's had a pretty good overall WrestleMania record. Um, his WrestleMania opponents have included, let's see, Chris Jericho, who he lost to, but I thought it was a very good underrated match from that Mania. He faced Sheen the next year, which was, again, one of the better matches on that entire show, and probably gave Sheen his best match of his entire run in being back in WWE. Um, I thought they had a very good match. Um, the following year, the Nakamura match definitely fell well below expectations, but it was still a very good match, I thought. Not great, but it was very good, and AJ won, and he retained the WWE title. Um, last year, he faced Orton, and again, not, a, not an amazing match, not a must-see match by any means. It probably should have been better than it was. But it was still quite good in AJ1. So he's faced only top talent at WrestleMania in the last four years, including Jericho, Shane, Nakamura, and Randy Orton. And you can add Taker to that list now. So that's a pretty big feather in his cap if he wins. If he loses, then no thank you. I mean, for Taker to, to buy him as a, you know, and being better than Styles at WrestleMania, especially when you add in interference from like the OC, which I, if honestly, if AJ wins with interference, It'll be pretty shitty, but at least he wins. I can only imagine the reaction that that would get. Um, at WrestleMania, I don't want to see that. But it would be better than Taker beating AJ. I know Taker's an icon, but the guy's 50-something years old. He's in terrible shape. The idea of him beating um, you know, someone like AJ, who's still in the prime of his career, or at least close to it, is, is comical. So AJ would have to win in that case. Another rumored WrestleMania match is John Cena versus, wait for it, Elias. Yeah, if you heard the crickets, it's because you're not alone there, because I think this match is very underwhelming as well. Um, I heard all the reports and the rumors about Cena facing Elias, and it seems, again, not set in stone. It seems to be the, the scuttlebutt right now among wrestling fans about how, you know, it's not the match that's happening at WrestleMania, but there's, I guess, strong talk of it happening. And I, I've read conflicting reports. I'm not exactly sure what to believe, because I've read reports indicating that Cena gets to pick his mania opponent, and then these reports came out later that um, he's facing Elias. So maybe he picked Elias. I don't know. I can see Cena being a big Elias guy. The thing is, the issue with this match is this. I like the idea. I, I like Elias a lot. I like Elias a lot. I don't like the idea of them facing off at WrestleMania. I know it plays off the history between the two at the show. You know, he interrupted uh, Elias two years ago. He interrupted Elias last year as a Dr. Thugonomics. Uh, there is absolutely no reason to revisit that as a WrestleMania match. As a match, I don't care. The idea of Cena beating Elias accomplishes nothing. Um, Elias even beating John Cena, to be honest with you, who does it really benefit? I'm not going to lie to you. Like, Elias beating Cena, where does he go from there to the main event? I had a whole discussion about this on Hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday, but it's comical to me because Elias, to me, does not scream main event talent. I like the guy a lot. I think he has a good character. He's finally getting over as a babyface, and that's awesome. But a win over fucking Cesaro, of all people, is not going to make me believe that he's a threat to John Cena. And if he beats John Cena, again, where do you go from there? Do you build up Elias as a WWE or Universal Championship contender? No, you don't. 
It's, just because he has a good character does not mean he should be headlining shows for a world championship. As a mid-card champion, honestly, I wouldn't mind it. I mean, it kind of already gave the belt to Braun Strowman, but whatever. Um, I think he's probably a better... I mean, I think he needs a belt more than Elias does. Elias can work with or without a championship. Braun needed fucking something because the guy's lost every major opportunity um, in the last two or three years. So he needed a belt. Um, Elias, it really wasn't as, you know, um, as much of a necessity. That being said, though, I do think, um, you know, going forward, he's kind of hit a ceiling. I mean, I've seen a lot of people say that, and I agree. Um, I don't really think he can go much higher up on the totem pole in WWE than where he is right now. And I don't think a program with John Cena, of all people, is going to change that. And he's looked good in the feed against people like Cena, like Roman Reigns, you know, Finn Balor, people like that. He's actually, I think he actually owns wins either over, maybe not Finn Balor, but I think he actually beat Dean Ambrose a couple years ago in Raw, um, surprisingly enough. I think he actually beat Elias, I think Elias actually beat him on Raw a year ago too, so he has some pretty high-profile victories. Um, that being said though, just no one can bring themselves to care about this match. I mean, again, it might be entertaining for a skip, but it's high time they finally did something notable with John Cena at WrestleMania. When was the last must-see John Cena match or feud or whatever at WrestleMania? Definitely not last year. He made a surprise appearance on the show as the Dr. Thugonomics, which was cool, but no match. The year before that, his match with The Undertaker, if you can even really call it that, was not even advertised in advance. They did it as a last-minute stunt to get him on the show, had him lose to Taker in two minutes. He literally got squashed by The Undertaker, which was fine, whatever. It wasn't a full-length match, whatever. So he got that. He loses... And that could have been a marquee match. They didn't really build it up as such, nor did I even really want to see it, to be honest with you. But we got it. The year before that, I I, I will be a defender of this program, but it wasn't exactly must-see, despite the people being involved. Uh, the Miz and Maurice versus Cena and Nikki Bella, which was irrelevant now because they're no longer together. But I thought the feed for that was very entertaining. The match was nothing worth right home, you know, worth right... It wasn't anything worth writing home about. There we go. I, I mixed up the expression there. Um, the match was nothing special. In other words, um, they, you know, he won that, and that's great. In the year before that, what was 32, didn't wrestle then either. You know, he appeared alongside The Rock and, you know, basically buried the Wyatt family. The year before that, he faced Rusev, and the year before that, he faced Bray Wyatt. And none of those matches were that great either. So for a guy that's supposed to be the face of a generation, they have done a better part of almost nothing, largely nothing with John Cena in the past decade of WrestleMania, probably since the... Um, the Rock feud ended, to be honest with you. Like, it's cool that he's working with the younger guys. People like Miz isn't exactly young, but Bray Wyatt, Rusev, reportedly Elias, that's great. But, you know, with those guys, those guys should have beaten John Cena. For him to go into WrestleMania and lose to Elias, I'm not even saying that's the plan, but it's a lose-lose. Because Cena gains nothing. It's not like there's a championship on the line. Elias is a babyface now anyway, so I'm not really sure how that makes sense. And he's getting over, so I wouldn't turn him heel anytime soon. And you know he's going to be gone after WrestleMania, so I don't like that idea at all. And I talked a lot about it here on the show last week. What do you do with John Cena at WrestleMania? Because it was reported on back, not reported, it was announced on backstage that Cena will be back on SmackDown next week in Boston. Um, so what do you do with the guy? I mean, there's a couple different ideas. Um, I said Daniel Bryan. I think, again, how do you get to that point? I don't know. And I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because Daniel Bryan is a, is a babyface too, so how would you set that up? And 
I mean, again, it might be it may it might make more sense with Brian because a they had that match at SummerSlam seven years ago. They never got a rematch one on one between Brian and Cena. That was a great great match and one of the better matches of the entire year. So I wouldn't matter. I wouldn't really mind if they revisited that. Um, it's better than Cena and the Fiend. Cena and Goldberg. Eh, yeah, never been done before, but I really don't care. Neither guy will be there after Mania. It w- which would be fine if it was a match that we were dying to see, that we were salivating at the thought of, but. I don't think I've ever heard a single soul say, oh, I can't wait to see Cena and Goldberg mix it up one day. Not really, so I, I, I'm going to pass on that too. I would take that over Cena and Wyatt, but again, that's not saying much because we've seen that feud, been there, done that, doesn't really benefit anyone. So I, I would go with Daniel Bryan. He's showing more of an edge now anyway, so maybe they team up on SmackDown and I don't know if Bryan would go heel, but he feels like he needs to prove himself. Kind of like what we what you know what we saw from their original feud seven years ago when Bryan... Didn't go full-fledged heel, but he broke away from Kane that he needed to prove himself. Um, and he did so by beating Randy Orton, beating this guy, beating that guy, beating John Cena at SummerSlam. He doesn't have to go heel, but he could say to himself, and I wanted this match last year. I think that would have been a good time to bring Cena back. And I mean, but then, then you know, Kofi got hot, so it wasn't a big deal. But and it would have made more sense with Brian being a heel at that point. Um, but now, you know, Cena, you know, or rather Brian has this edge coming off the losses to The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, and The Fiend changes people, and Brian has been no exception. So maybe going forward, you can have uh, Brian show a bit more of an edge, and once he uh, loses, um, or, you know, after losing to, to Bray Wyatt, he can, or they lose a tag team match, let's say. After losing to Bray Wyatt, they lose a tag team match. He attacks John Cena and says, listen, I need to prove that I can still go, that coming out of retirement was worth it. And he even said as such, coming off the loss to The Fiend after he was defeated at the Royal Rumble, he said about his daughter, like, oh, is all of this really worth it? I don't think he said that, but his wife, Bree, said that, who will be back on SmackDown this week for whatever reason. And I'll talk more about the Bella Twins momentarily. Um, that might be where they announced their big WrestleMania weekend announcement, but we'll get to that again momentarily. Um, but anyway, Brian and Cena, in my opinion, might be the best possible option. I really do. As a match, as a feud... If Cena's coming back to SmackDown, he's facing someone from SmackDown. Unless Velveteen Dream gets called up in the next two weeks, which I don't think he is. I feel like that ship has sailed. If you wanted to bring him back to SmackDown as opposed to NXT, that could have worked. Um, but they didn't, which is fine. Um, and now you have to have him face someone from SmackDown. I think our truth would be cool. I've seen a lot of people pitch that idea. You know, truth is always saying, oh, he's my childhood hero, which makes no sense, which is why it's funny. But, you know, that and he's on Raw, so I'm not really sure how you would work that out. I know he's 24-7 champion, but I feel like I think that belt is now exclusive to Raw. Um, I think the only belts that aren't exclusive to one show are the women's tag team titles, but that's about it. I don't see um, R-Truth winning those belts anytime soon. Uh, never say never, I guess, but I don't see that exactly working out. So R-Truth would be cool, but he's going back to SmackDown. Velveteen Dream clearly isn't done with um, the Undisputed Era. And I think we're getting Cole and Dream at... Takeover Tampa. That's my prediction. I know he beat Roddy last night on NXT, and then the entire Undisputed Era laid him on afterwards. So um, that being Velveteen Dream, not Roddy. So I think they are building toward a Velveteen Dream Adam Cole feud for the NXT Championship, which would make sense. We've never seen the match before. I don't think anyway. Um, and if there's anyone who deserves a run with that championship before they get called up, it's Velveteen Dream. And remember, Adam Cole did play a part in. Dream losing his NXT North American title to Roderick Strong back in September. So there is history to play off of there. And now that he's already feuding with Roddy anyway, it, it makes sense. 
Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully that's the direction they go in with Cena and Brian. I hate to get too off track here, but um, it'll be very interesting to see how this WrestleMania card shakes out, uh, where they go with it, who they book against who. Some matches are already set in stone, including Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair for the NXT Women's Championship. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but the two proposed matches, we have some hits, some misses. I like Taker and Styles, but with the good, you get some bad, and that includes John Cena versus Elias. Real quickly, before we go any further from the Hall of Fame um, department, we have a few, not official announcements, but I assume these announcements will be made very, very soon. We're getting very close to WrestleMania, and, and it's usually in the weeks leading up to the show that they start announcing people, like as early as January. Maybe they feel like it doesn't really matter that they uh, haven't announced anyone else yet because they already announced Batista and the NWO back in, like, December. Um, so it's fine that they haven't announced anyone else additional as of right now. But the rumored inductees joining Batista and NWO in the Hall of Immortals, uh, no pun intended with Hulk Hogan being there, include the Bella Twins for the women's pick this year, Jushin Thunder Liger, JBL, in the British Bulldog. I may have missed someone, but I'm pretty sure that was the rumored lineup for this year. Um, in addition to Batista and the NWO. What a weird mishmash of talent. Um, but honestly, all of those I can see being inducted. First of all, the British Bulldog, long overdue. I didn't see that get a lot of buzz. I'm surprised. Um, I saw some people tweeting about it, but it didn't get like, oh, finally. But I feel like, you know, that, that that's a big deal. The British Bulldog is one of the greatest superstars to not be in the hall. And, you know, he's up there with Owen Hart. And I'm not sure if Owen Hart will be inducted anytime soon. Um, hopefully he will be. I know they put out that DVD on him a couple years ago that, you know, Martha Hart had nothing to do with. But no, he was not inducted. Hopefully soon. I think he will. I think it's only inevitable before he's inducted. Maybe not like anytime soon in the next few years, but he will be inducted at some point. Very cool to see British Bulldog inducted, though, on his own. Should have been inducted a long time ago, but better late than never. GBL makes sense. Again, it was only inevitable. Um, and, and it's not like it's not too much of a stretch. I mean, he was the longest reigning WWE champion in SmackDown history up until a certain point. I think until AJ, that is. You know, he had a uh, couple different runs as a tag team guy in, in the 90s with the APA, early 2000s. Um, he won a United States championship. He won an Intercontinental championship. He did a lot in WWE, uh, GBL did. He was around for a long time. He was a commentator for a long time. I'm surprised they haven't already, they are, they haven't already inducted him. I know Ron Simmons went in on his own years and years and years ago. So I was waiting for JBL to join him, and I thought maybe they would go in as the APA, but I'm glad they're going in separately. So JBL will be joining the Hall of Fame very likely this WrestleMania weekend. Uh, the Bella Twins, I'll save them for last because I have a lot to say about the Bella Twins, but Jushin Thunder Liger is another obvious pick. For people saying how oh, he never wrestled a single match in WWE, blah, blah, blah. Well, he has. Um, he wrestled with them technically, um, not even, I mean, he, he did, it was a part of a WWE super show, I think with New Japan or another company, like back in the seventies. And that doesn't really count. Like it wasn't on raw or like a major WWE show, but you know, WWE was involved. So it does make sense. Um, the only other match he's wrestled for WWE was at the 2015 NXT Brooklyn show, the takeover show, um, which was amazing. I was there for that. Very cool to see that live. And I think that counts. To me, what counts is a Hall of Fame-worthy superstar, and there's no set criteria. It's really whoever's not on Vince's shit list this year. With Jushin, with, with Jushin Thunder Liger, he just retired from in-ring competition a couple of months ago. Actually, just last month, the Wrestle Kingdom um, had this amazing send-off, one of the greatest of all time. 
To me, as long as you wrestled in a company and had a great career in a company that WWE owns and, and acknowledges and is a part of the WWE canon, then I think it counts, in my opinion. Jushin Thunder Liger obviously had a very historic career in WCW, so I think that's enough to count in addition to everything else he did in Japan. So with that being said, I would put him in the Hall of Fame as the uh, um, global inductee for this year, the international superstar the Bella Twins, and this may not be a popular opinion, but I do not have an issue with this. Again, it was more a matter of when and not if they would be inducted. And the thing is, they do not, this is almost inarguable, at least when it comes to maybe this year, you know, nowadays, it's not that hard, like Bailey's going to be in someday, Banks, Charlotte, Becky, Alexa Bliss. But because there weren't many women that really revolutionized women wrestling, women's wrestling was not as big, obviously, back in the day as it is now. So, 10 years from now, you'll have countless inductees. Like, you won't even have this issue. But because there's not many divas from yesteryear that you can induct, you're going to run into an issue where you're inducting people a little too soon, people like the Bella Twins, who just retired a year or two ago. And I, I, I think they're retired. They've said they're retired a few different times. We thought Brie was done four years ago. She came back for another run or two. Uh, Nikki Bella, same thing. But I know Nikki cannot wrestle anymore at all. So, I don't even think Brie is doing wrestling anymore either. Um, they had that run there going in Evolution when Nikki faced Ronda Rousey, which was I thought it was a pretty good feud. They had a good match. Uh, that was a good note for Nikki to end on, the main event of a women's pay-per-view, the first ever and only so far all-women's pay-per-view in WWE. So that's how she goes out. Um, that's a good way to uh, go out. Um, but I have no issue with this. I really don't. They are former Divas champions. Brie Bella, a one-time Divas champion. Nikki Bella, a two-time Divas champion. And that second reign was one of the longest, I think the longest in the title's history. And they were a big part of that Divas division. Maybe not a big part of Give Divas a Chance, but they were a part of that. They were. Uh, they may not be solely responsible for the women's evolution, but they absolutely contributed to it. I mean, they were a part. I mean, they were never great in-ring wrestlers to begin with. And they haven't really had many memorable matches. But it's not like you have to go in the Hall of Fame. In order to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, you have to have one memorable match, you know? And they had some pretty decent matches, and they improved. Not really Brie, more so Nikki, I would say. Um, but they were a big part of that Divas division for a long time. They debuted in 2008. Uh, they were always around on TV, whether it be Raw, SmackDown, ECW. They were always on the shows. And then I think they won a pair of Divas titles in 2011, 2012. And they were like the new Lay Cool after Lay Cool broke up. And then they left for about a year. Came back, had a career resurgence. Um, you know, as baby faces, they were a part of Total Divas. They were like the face of that show for a long, 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 long time. They introduced Total Bellas. Um, they came back, had another couple runs. Nikki Bella, obviously the Divas champion when she came back for a long time. For the better part of 2014, she was champion. Who did she even win the belt from? Was it AJ? Yeah, I think it was AJ. And then she held the belt up until like late 2015. Um, but yeah, they wrestled on a number of WrestleManias. They were a part of that Divas revolution. Nikki had that. I think what I would consider a great run from Nikki uh, when she came back from the neck surgery in 2016-2017, she had those really good matches with... The WrestleMania match was okay, but the feed with Cena and Miz and Maurice was great. The matches that she had with uh, Natalia, surprisingly, were really, really good. The matches she had with Carmella were actually really good as well. And um, she kind of ended on high note with the proposal at WrestleMania, which ended up being irrelevant because they broke up. Um, and then again, the Ronda Rousey match was also pretty good when she came back. So, and they were in the first ever Women's Rumble. So, to me, it's a no-brainer. We had to know they were going in at some point. 
I would induct people like Sable before the Bella Twins, people like Miss Elizabeth before the Bella Twins, people like A.J. Lee before the Bella Twins. She's been retired for far longer than they were, but it's not the end of the world. It's not that big of a deal. So I assume they will be either announcing that on SmackDown this week. They don't really make announcements like that. They don't have the people themselves announce they're going into the Hall of Fame, but they could. I don't know why else they would be on the show other than to show off they're both pregnant. So uh, any idea of like, oh, they're coming back for one more match at WrestleMania is comical because they're both literally pregnant. So and, and it's not it's not fake. It's it's pretty obvious. So I guess we'll find out what they have in store for WWE on Friday's SmackDown. But I have no issues with them being inducted in the Hall of Fame. I really don't. Uh, real quickly, I spent far more time on that stuff than I had planned on. But uh, Takeover Portland on Sunday I thought was a great show from start to finish. In the opener, we had Keith Lee defending successfully his North American Championship against Dominic Dijakovic, a familiar foe, um, an outstanding opener. I know some people weren't really fond on all the kickouts. It's hard to say, oh, I love this match, but I had an issue with all the kickouts in the um, Lucha Bros, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega match for the AEW World Tag Team titles on Wednesday. But, you know, I, I thought this was a great opener, and yeah, the, the no-selling of some stuff was kind of a bit bothersome. But on the whole, this was awesome. These guys will never not work well together. Keith Lee winning was pretty, uh, excuse me, set in stone. I kind of figured Keith Lee would win here. He just won the championship, you know, no less than a month ago or no more than a month ago. So it was pretty, it only really made sense for him to win here. So a uh, great opener. I thought that was great. The feud is not yet over though. Dominic Dijakovic did confront Keith Lee following Lee's uh, very quick win over Kona, uh, Kona Reeves on Wednesday's NXT. So it looks like they're building to a rematch, which I have no issue with, but I was hoping they would build to someone new, whether it be, I don't know, Killian Dane, Damian Priest, Kushida. Um, there's a lot of people in that mid-card division right now in NXT. Cameron Grimes, maybe not so much, but, you know, they have a couple different fresh faces. I wouldn't go back to Lee and Dijakovic so soon, but, hey, another match is another match. I can't complain. We then had the first-ever women's street fight in NXT history between Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. I thought this was awesome. I love the first match. I thought the first match was good. It was it was quick. It was fast-paced, action-packed. This was 10 times better. I mean, maybe that I was had my enjoyment hindered by that match because it happened on NXT TV for whatever reason and not at TakeOver. But I'm glad they were really given the chance to go all out on this show. And what I loved about this TakeOver, moreover than anything, was that every match was different than the other ones. Some were more storytelling-based. Some were more action-packed, like Dijakovic and... Um, Keith Lee, this one had more emotion. It was more emotion-based, more storytelling-based, uh, given their history and how Dakota Kai turned on Tegan Knox, They utilized the extreme environment very well. The crowd loved this. They ate it up. Uh, Dakota Kai did win in the end after interference and an assistance from the debuting or re-debuting, I guess, uh, Raquel Gonzalez, better known as Reina Gonzalez. And a lot of people may not know who she is. I could probably, you know, you can kind of tell that from the reaction that she received on Sunday. But she was a part of the first two Mae Young Classics in 2017, 2018, respectively. She has definitely wrestled on NXT TV before, if not a handful of matches, maybe one or two. But she has been on the show at least once or twice. Um, she's not incredibly polished yet, but she's been there for enough time where it was about time they introduced her to NXT TV. And having her serve as the heavy for Dakota Kai and not immediately pushing her as a threat on the show, I think works. Um, so I thought this was uh, really, really good. The finish was a bit flat because people wanted Tegan to win, but they are building to a steel cage match, the second ever women's steel cage match in two weeks on NXT uh, on NXT TV. The first one being Sheena and uh, Io Shirai a year ago on the show, and now we get Tegan Knox and um, Dakota guys. So that should be a lot of fun. And I think 
Gonzalez is um, banned from ringside, so we'll see how that plays out. Up next, we have Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano. Another great match, but more based on you know crowd reaction, emotion, intense storytelling. I thought this was great. Uh, Finn Balor is just on another level right now. This is by far the best Finn Balor we have ever seen in WWE, and it's not even close. Like the main roster run, I get it. You know, he was he was doing well when he first showed up on Raw. People probably would have soured on that after a while. And he wasn't doing a lot before he got brought back down to NXT or brought back to NXT. You can't really say down anymore. It is developmental at the end of the day. But they're on TV and they have a primetime spot. They have a they have a primetime spot on uh, USA Network every Wednesday. So it's kind of hard to say. Oh, he was promoted down to NXT. You know, if anything, it's an upgrade because the show is usually better than Raw and SmackDown. But even when he was in NXT the first time, you know, he had a lot of good matches with Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe. But these, like, this is better than any of those matches, in my opinion. I feel like this Balor match with, with Gargano was better than any of the matches he had with Joe or Owens in NXT. And that's saying a lot. Um, he's just a much better heel. He is killing it in this role. Now, Balor winning here begs the question, is the NXT championship next for him? To me, I would not like to see that, just because we were already, we already saw Balor and Cole on NXT TV no more than two months ago, you know, on that, uh, on the episode right before Christmas, so... Yeah, they could go back to it, and yeah, Gargano did cost Balor the match, so Cole did not win clean. But at the same time, though, like there, it's a heel dynamic. Not that it would really matter. It's NXT. Both guys would get cheered anyway. But uh, I don't know. It's not really a match that intrigues me right now. I'm not really sure what else you do with Balor. He will be on NXT next week. So maybe that's where they kick off the build, the Balor versus um, Adam Cole. But again, like I said earlier, I would much rather see Velveteen Dream in that spot versus Adam Cole for the championship of Mania. It makes more sense. Um, it's a fresh match, never been done before, and I think, you know, Balor been there, done that. He's already been NXT champion. I know there's a story worth telling there, oh, Adam Cole about to break the record, and hey, you know what? Maybe you can do it on an upcoming episode of NXT. Maybe you can tell the story like, oh, if Adam Cole beats Finn Balor here, then he goes on to face Velveteen Dream at WrestleMania weekend. I think you could do that. I think that could work, because um, there is enough time between now and WrestleMania weekend to do that match. Um, and well, I guess we'll find out when, when he's on the show next week, Finn Balor is, but, um, yeah, I, I don't really care to see Balor and Cole at a takeover, um, just because I feel like there's better opponents for Cole in the meantime. Uh, we then had the NXT Women's Championship match, which they are going back to calling the NXT Women's title that was short-lived, the whole NXT Championship bullshit. Um, and I don't think Triple H, he was like, oh, they're overblowing it, you know, fans took it out of proportion, they blew it out of proportion, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the case. They had the commentators openly saying, oh, the NXT Championship, the NXT UK Championship, blah, blah, blah. It's it's the women's title. Let's not get bent out of shape here. They probably saw the negative reaction and went back to the way that things used to be. Let's not get too bent out of shape. But uh, it is the women's title and NXT Rhea Ripley knocking off Bianca Belair. Easily the weakest match on the show, but that's not to say it was bad. It was good, very well wrestled. I've seen better matches from both women. But it was good. It, it probably didn't help that the outcome was predictable because they've already been building the Ripley and um, Ripley and Charlotte for a few weeks now. I figured Ripley was retaining even before they kicked off the build of that match. But um, yeah, no, I thought this was good. Charlotte did resurface afterward, uh, laying out both Ripley and Belair, challenging officially Ripley to a NXT Women's Championship match at WrestleMania 36. Um, that should be awesome. Bianca did show up on NXT on Wednesday to challenge Charlotte Flair formally to a match. She says, I don't care if it's there, I don't care if it's here, I just want the match. So they'll either do it on an upcoming episode of NXT, or 
they'll do it either. I mean, I guess they could do it on Raw or SmackDown. I, I mean, Elimination Chamber works too. Or, I mean, probably not Super Showdown. That's next weekend or next Thursday. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing that. I would not mind seeing that at a, uh, you know, Elimination Chamber if they wanted to do it there. I would save it. I would do it in NXT because you could always save that as a, as a pay-per-view match on the main roster for after Bianca gets called up, probably after WrestleMania. Um, so I would save that. But on an episode of NXT TV, I think it would be good. And it might work out better just because they need the ratings anyway. So promoting that match for an upcoming episode of NXT, I think, makes sense. Uh, we had the Broserweights knocking off Undisputed Era, as I figured they would, to win the NXT Tag Team titles. I thought this was an awesome match. Some would say the best match of the night, and it's hard to argue with that. It was a really, really, really good match. Um, the Broserweights were the right team to knock off Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish for the tag titles. Um, I don't really think there was really much else for Undisputed Era to do as tag team champions. But then again, where do you go from here with the Broserweights? Um, I guess you could have them feud with the Forgotten Sons. Personally, I have no interest in seeing that. Um, they could do the Broserweights versus, you know, they already did Lorcan and Birch on this week's show, so I'm not really sure where else you go from here. Um, there was one match I was thinking of, maybe the Broserweights versus Grizzled Young Vets, but the issue is they already did that too. When they beat them to win the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, they joined the NXT, seemingly they joined the NXT Tag Team Division on Wednesday when they knocked off uh, uh, Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza, so... Cool to see them on NXT, but they've already been beaten by the Broserweights too. So they have a you know great champions and Undisputed Era are awesome, but they have a very limited NXT tag team division that needs some rebuilding for sure. And then we got to the main event: Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship. A great main event that got a little out of hand by the end there when he did like Cole, for example, did the Canadian Destroyer, the Panama Sunrise, on the outside from the commentary table, hit it on Ciampa on the ringside floor. And then Cole, I think Champa just rolled right back into the ring. That was stupid. I thought that was really dumb. Um, the no-selling of some of the moves here and all the kickouts. You know, I didn't really mind it when they did it the first time with Cole and Gargano at Mania uh, weekend last year in New York. I didn't really hate it then, to be honest with you. I thought it added to the match. The more they do it, though, in the Gargano-Cole matches and with Champa too, it gets kind of out of hand. Uh, it got out of hand by, like, the third match for me. Um, in Toronto, and they had the three stages of hell, and then Cole hit like two Canadian destroyers, and he kicked out of both. Gargano did. That was ridiculous. Um, but still, I thought this was a uh, very good match overall. The crowd was into it. A lot of suspenseful near falls, stuff like that. In the end, it was Johnny Gargano coming to Ciampa's aid, only to reveal that he was turning on him, that he had no interest in helping him. He took the belt from Ciampa, hit him with it, allowed Cole to uh, capitalize, pinned him for the victory, and Cole is still the NXT champion. And now Johnny Gargano, once again, is a heel. And they have exhausted every dynamic with this feud. Um, they were both babyfaces recently, and when they first started out, they were both heels about a year ago. Um, Ciampa was the heel initially in their feud, and now the roles have been reversed. So I have no issue with this. If they build to a heel Gargano versus a face Ciampa at WrestleMania weekend takeover uh, Tampa, then I have no problem with that. I really don't. I think it can be a uh, very fun match. But it's got to be blown off, as I've said uh, a few times before, inside Hell in the Cell. I think people were hoping that for were hoping for that stipulation a few years ago. They were building toward a two out of three falls match to take over um, in New York, and obviously Ciampa got hurt. But I think it's got to be blown off inside Hell in the Cell. We've never seen that before, and I know they're doing a steel cage match in a few weeks in NXT, so that might kind of hinder the possibility of us seeing that. But they've done every other stipulation with these guys. Two out of three falls. They've done. You know, um, uh, they did the fucking last man standing match, unsanctioned, street fight. 
you know, we've seen ladder matches before, and there's no championship on the line, so that wouldn't really make much sense here. Um, it, it's it's got to be, it's got to be a hell in the cell, in my opinion. That's the only stipulation that makes sense to blow this feud off once and for all. So hopefully that's what we get. But overall, though, I, I love this show. I thought Takeover Portland was, again, one of the top three takeovers they've ever done. Gun to head, what are the top three takeovers? In my opinion, again, I'm still partial to Takeover New York because I was there. But I, I still think that's the greatest show they've ever done. Um, this one does come close, though. So I would say Takeover New York, Takeover Portland, and then probably Takeover New Orleans from a few years ago, again over Mania Week, and that was another amazing show. Uh, that might have this one beat because I thought the overbooking in the main event on this show is a little much. So the New Orleans show might be a little better. Um, but those, in my opinion, are the top three takeovers they've ever done. You could also include takeover Brooklyn 1 and 2. I think for what those were, they were very fun because they were outside of Full Sail. That really opened the door for bigger venues for the takeover shows for NXT. Um, you could include takeover Dallas over Mania 32 weekend, which was amazing. You could include takeover... Eh, 25 might not be up there, but I thought that was a great show too. Again, I was there for that one, but I thought that was a great show. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of them. I thought, you know, last year's War Games show was great, but, um, yeah, I still say the best takeover is the one in New York, but this Portland show comes very, very close. Real quickly, from Raw and Dynamite and NXT, there really isn't a lot to say. Um, I already kind of talked about NXT Raw. There wasn't really a lot that happened, but I thought the Hardy-Orton segment that kicked off the show was awesome. Uh, that, to me, felt like an appropriate write-off for Matt Hardy. Part of me feels like they'll just keep bringing him back until his contract expires. So we might see him next week and have a match against Orton, despite the fact that he's had the living shit kicked out of him here on Raw. And it really speaks volumes to how no one on the Raw roster likes Matt Hardy enough to go out and save him. So I thought that was pretty shitty. Uh, but I thought overall the segment was stellar. Uh, Hardy was great. Orton has been awesome in this asshole role that he's been playing for a few weeks now. So I thought this was really, really good. And uh, this was it, I assume, for Matt Hardy on WWE TV. Unless he re-signs and he'll be back as broken Matt Hardy in a month. But I'm getting the feeling now I said initially, oh, Hardy will resign, and he, there's still a very good chance that happens. You know, but I think it's not a money thing, it's a creative thing. You know, it's not like Shelton Benjamin where he where he's content, you know, fucking facing Akira Tozawa on Raw. With a guy like uh Matt, he you know, he's winding down his career, and this might be it. This might be the last big contract he ever signs. And if he's not going to be utilized at all, he might as well go elsewhere. And I think AEW would have a lot of interest in bringing him in as the exalted one for the broken or for the broken order, the dark order that is. Um, and I think it just makes a lot of sense. So this might be it for Matt Hardy on WWE TV. If it is, it was a hell of a send off, and hopefully we could see him. His contract reportedly expires, as Matt has said. Other you know uh, sources have said his contract reportedly expires on March second. So that that says a lot, um, which means because. That's right after the AEW pay-per-view, two days after the show, in fact. That's two days after the pay-per-view. We could very well debut on the post-Revolution episode of Dynamite as the Exalted One. I feel like the timing there would be fucking perfect. Everyone thinks it might be Christopher Daniels. You come to find out it's actually broken or woken, whatever, Matt Hardy. That would be awesome. Speaking of Dynamite, real quick, I thought Wednesday's episode was great. Um, the Young Bucks won that number one contender's battle royal to earn a shot of the AEW World Tag Team titles at the tag titles at the Revolution pay-per-view next weekend. Very good battle royal. I thought overall it was very well laid out. Good stories, good action. The crowd was into it. 
Uh, Chris Statlander versus Shayna, or Shauna rather. Uh, started out a little slow, but overall a good match. I like Statlander a lot. I thought this was good. Uh, they're clearly building to a match with Statlander and Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship. And speaking of whom, Tony Schiavone did interview her. She cut a pretty good promo, a bit generic, but I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I thought it was I thought it was well delivered and whatever. The verbiage was a bit you know generic, but her delivery wasn't terrible. And I know Big Swole got in her face, and um, Chris Statlander got in her face. So I feel like we might see a Statlander-Big Swole number one contenders match, which kind of renders the number one contenders, or rather the power rankings in this company irrelevant, but whatever. That's why I feel like it's a bit too problematic, and I would get either get rid of them or just not do number one contenders matches. Because uh, Big Swole, I don't think, is anywhere near the number one spot in those top five rankings. I think Rio is still number one. Anyway, though, they might be building to that after the pay-per-view. I could see them doing Nyla Rose and Rio one more time at the pay-per-view and then moving on to either Big Swole or Statlander in that spot. I would like to see Statlander versus Rose. I'm not a big Rose fan. I might, something just fell. I apologize. Uh, I'm not a big Nyla Rose fan in the ring, but I do think her and Statlander could be very interesting. Jeff Cobb making his AEW Dynamite in-ring debut on the show in a very good match with uh, John Moxley. I thought he looked good in defeat. They protected him with the... Not a roll-up, but the inside cradle, whatever. To Jeff Cobb worked. Uh, Dustin Rhodes came out afterward to make the save. And then Darby Allen making his grand return. I mean, he was only gone for a couple of weeks. But you would think it was like months, if not a year. The crowd went nuts when the lights went out and he showed up. He's very popular. They have very, they definitely have something special in um, Darby Allen. He's a guy to build around on this brand. So I thought that was a good match. The AEW World Tag Team title match was great. Page and Omega versus the Lucha Bros. The kickouts got a bit tedious by the end there, but I thought overall this was very exciting. The crowd did not seem to mind one bit. Um, I thought this was awesome. And then the Cody Wardlow Steel Cage main event match I thought was also good. Um, not amazing, nothing too, too great, but I thought Wardlow, more importantly, really stood out as being, you know, having potential to me. Um, he held his own against Cody. Yeah, he was beat, but it took Cody doing a fucking moonsault off the top of the cage for him to beat Wardlow. So I thought that was cool. Uh, great spot. The crowd went nuts for it. They ate it up. They were in Cody's, I think, home state, hometown of Atlanta. Not hometown. I think it's from Marietta. But uh, home state of Atlanta, they went nuts. Or home state of Georgia, they went nuts for him. I thought it was a good match. Overall, a very good show. I'm looking forward to Revolution next week. We'll be doing Revolution predictions right here on the show next Thursday. Uh, already kind of talked about NXT and what happened on that show. It wasn't really overly newsworthy on the whole. Um, finally, before we close it off here in the final few minutes of the show, my predictions preview picks for next Thursday's WWE Super Showdown pay-per-view. Uh, more matches could be added. In fact, I expect it. Um, I'm not sure what those matches would be, but I could see them doing Strowman and Nakamura one more time at the pay-per-view. I could see them doing... Do they have a U.S. Championship match on the show? They do not, but that's because Andrade is in the Takai Trophy or whatever the hell it is. Um, speaking of which, we might, have, might as well get it out of the way right now. It's AJ Styles, Andrade returning. Um, Andrade, or AJ's back. He was, uh, he's apparently been cleared. He was back on Raw this week. Andrade, the United States champion, will be back on that show. Bobby Lashley, Rusev, Eric Rowan, and R-Truth. Yes, a very random match, and Eric Rowan lost to Aleister Black on Raw, um, but he's in the match, and Aleister Black is not, because apparently Saudi Arabia does not like his tattoos, his religious tattoos, so I'm not sure if it was his choice, or they just said they don't want him there, I don't know, maybe they're playing it safe, I'm not sure, but Aleister Black will not be on this show. Of these six guys, it's gotta be AJ Styles, I could see Andrade winning, but you can't have Andre, you can't have AJ lose a random fucking gauntlet at, in, super, in Saudi Arabia at Super Showdown, if the plan is for him to face 
The Undertaker at WrestleMania. So AJ has got to win here. I don't know if he comes in number one, but he's got to win by lastly probably eliminating Rusev, I would imagine. Uh, Bailey versus either Carmella or Naomi for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I'm not sure. I mean, of the two, I would rather see a triple threat, to be honest. I'm glad they're doing this at the pay-per-view um, and not just a random women's match. Like, they confirmed that women's match last time between Natalia and Lacey Evans at the very last second. So I'm glad we actually have a match on a women's match on the Saudi Arabia show that makes sense, which is cool. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This should be a good match, uh, regardless of who it is, because Bailey and Carmella worked well together last week on the show. I don't think Carmella wins decisively over Naomi, and I think Naomi is who Bailey is facing at WrestleMania. So my prediction for the SmackDown match is that it ends up being a triple threat. Either way, whether it's Carmella, Naomi, someone else. I do think Bailey retains on the show and walks into WrestleMania as the SmackDown Women's Champion. For the Raw Tag Team titles in a match that was added after Monday's Raw, uh, when the Street Profits made the save for Owens and the Viking Raiders uh, against Rollins, Murphy, and AOP, it's going to be Rollins and uh, Murphy versus the Street Profits for the Raw Tag Team titles. I would love to see the Street Profits win. I don't see it happening. Uh, Rollins and Murphy, I think, will reign as Raw Tag Team champions for a little while longer. And if you're wondering why it's these guys in the spot and not you know, Viking. I mean, I could see Viking Raiders being brought back to do the rematch, but this is fresher. And if Rollins and Murphy aren't going to last a long time as tag team champions, then it makes sense to do the match now while we still can get it. So I think Rollins and Murphy retain here. I mean, I think the Street Profits winning would be awesome, but I just don't see it happening. I do see the SmackDown tag team titles changing though. Uh, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship will be defended with the New Day taking on Miz and Morrison. Um, this should be a good match. I've been liking the feud lately. Uh, Miz and Morrison, for some odd fucking reason, lost to um, Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns last week on SmackDown in the main event. And I thought that was just absolutely stupid, considering they're contending for the tag titles on this show. But uh, yeah, Miz and Morrison have got to win. I guess they could do a non-finish and then give them the belt at WrestleMania. But to have them lose decisively in Saudi Arabia would be stupid. So I would have Miz and Morrison win here. I hate the fact they might be becoming tag team champions in, in Saudi Arabia, of all places, on one of these dumb super showdown shows, but whatever. Um, I do think Miz and Morrison become the champions. And we then have, let's see here, Roman Reigns and King Corbin one more time inside a steel cage. It's got to be Roman Reigns. If he's going for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania, he's got to be Corbin. End this shit once and for all. I have zero interest in the match. We've seen it a million times one too many million times. Uh, we got to move on from it. Roman's got to win. And then what you do from there with Corbin, whether he faces Daniel Bryan, no thanks, or what. Him and Cena, no thanks. I don't know what you do with Corbin at WrestleMania, and honestly, I don't care. I like Corbin, but, like, the thing is, the King, the King Corbin character sucks. And second of all, I feel like I just can't take him seriously right now as a top threat on this show. He's already lost to... Uh, John Cena before, and their chemistry wasn't great the first time. Him and Brian would be fresh, I guess, but it's not a mania-worthy program, in my opinion. I would rather see Brian face John Cena. Um, but either way, I see Roman beating Corbin on the show. For the WWE Championship, Brock Lesnar versus Ricochet. I mean, Lesnar wins LOL. This should be a fun match if they give it time, and it's not a guarantee that they will, because remember the last time we were in Saudi Arabia? Brock Lesnar beat Cain Velasquez in like two fucking minutes. So if Kane got squashed in two minutes, a knee injury or no injury, I think Ricochet may not last long. He may last as short as Kofi Kingston did. 
But, um, you know, Ricochet is one of those guys that you could sacrifice to Brock. It doesn't really matter because he hasn't really been doing a hell of a whole lot recently anyway. But if they can give this time and kind of book it in a similar way that they did Ricochet, or rather uh, Brock versus Rey Mysterio um, at Survivor Series last year, or Brock versus Finn Balor at the Rumble last year, then this could be a lot of fun because Brock usually works better with the smaller opponents anyway. I wanted Brock and Bobby, but whatever. Um, this should be a fun match if given the time it deserves. Either way, there's no shot in hell Ricochet walks out as a new WWE champion. It, the, the, the odds are so lopsided, and rightfully so, because I just cannot see a scenario where Ricochet, of all people, beats Brock for the belt in Saudi Arabia. There's no shot of that happening, really. Uh, so Brock Lesnar wins, LOL. That brings us to the Universal Championship match between The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, and Goldberg. There is a very real chance Goldberg wins the belt on this show. With Brock, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer he retains. Goldberg, I am very afraid they will give the belt to. I didn't mind it three years ago when he squashed Kevin Owens. It was dumb, but whatever. This would be far more harmful because they have spent so much time and effort building up The Fiend and rebuilding Bray Wyatt on the whole after a couple very bad years there in 2016, 2017, 2018. They need to really do right by this guy. And it needs to, you know, I've already come to terms with the fact you'll probably lose the belt to WrestleMania. I'm not mad about that. But he needs to at least least make it to WrestleMania as the Universal Champion before he drops it, likely to Roman Reigns. That's not even a match that intrigues me all that much. And I like Goldberg and Reigns on paper. But to have Roman or Goldberg win the belt before they face off in Mania is just stupid to me. And I don't want to see Wyatt or The Fiend whatever versus Taker at WrestleMania. Um, unless it's just a complete squash, and I don't think it, I don't think it would be. So, um, I don't think they would do Taker like that. I think the Fiend has got to win here. I think he will win. That's my pick. I am very scared they might have Goldberg win. I know it's set in stone, like people thinking, oh, of course Goldberg's gonna lose. Blah blah blah. Eh, I wouldn't be so sure. It's WWE we're talking about here. You never really know what you're getting here sometimes with the creative. So I do think Wyatt wins. I do think he walks into WrestleMania still the Universal Champion. Uh, I'm not, I am confident in my pick, but I'm just very worried WWE will switch the championship for the sake of swerving people, and because Goldberg doesn't often lose. He lost to Brock a couple years ago. He lost to Taker at uh, Super Showdown last year. So, uh, you know, he might make up for it. I know he beat Dolph at SummerSlam, but it would be weird for Goldberg to lose more of his matches than not. But maybe they do a fuck finish. Maybe it's similar to the fuck finish they did at Hell in a Cell last year with Rollins and Wyatt where they quote-unquote protected Wyatt in defeat, the Fiend in defeat, which they did, and it was just a dumb finish to a dumb match, to a match that sucked. Um, either way, I don't care what the fuck happens. I know I'm, 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 Be careful what you wish for because the match may be terrible. It's got to be short, sweet, straight to the point. Wyatt wins clean. I don't think he will, but either way, Wyatt has got to walk out and walk into WrestleMania as the Universal Champion. And that does it for my predictions for a Super Showdown next Thursday. Check those out. Uh, Check out the show. I'll probably be watching live. Um, But nonetheless, there's a lot to look forward to right now in WWE. There's an Evolve show coming up in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn, somewhere in New York. Next weekend I'll be at. We're meeting Keith Lee, Rhea Ripley, Tommaso Ciampa. That's going to be cool. Um, Dynamite coming back to the Boston area in April. Very cool. I'm actually going to my first XFL game. Over Mania Weekend, believe it or not. I bought, we got the tickets. Alexis got the tickets for us, which is cool. It's a Guardians home game in MetLife versus the Defenders. And we're voting, we're not voting. We're um, rooting for the Defenders because they've been the better team so far. 
But uh, it would be cool if Guardians won too, so we'll see. But we are going to that the day before WrestleMania um, at MetLife Stadium. We will probably miss TakeOver Live, if not the first hour or so, but we'll probably just watch on delay. But um, yeah, so lots to look forward to. That's coming up in April. The Crockett Cup already confirmed for April too. Um, Impact, Rebellion, their pay-per-view coming up in April in New York City. Um, that should be uh, very exciting as well. There was something else too. Obviously, TakeOver... Um, Tampa. Oh, TakeOver UK Dublin was announced during TakeOver Portland. That's coming up on Sunday, April 26th. I'm really looking forward to that. Their last three TakeOvers were terrific. And taking place in Ireland, if, if Jordan Devlin is not in the main event, I will fucking riot. Just kidding, but I feel like that story writes itself. Jordan Devlin versus Walter. Book it, baby. I know he's the Cruiserweight Champion, but I feel like that'd be pretty, pretty cool. So at any rate, guys, um, that's going to do it for today's episode of Wrestle Rant Radio. Thank you guys, as always, for checking out the show. If you want to support the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Google Play, wherever you find your podcast. All the episodes are also available in full on nextairwrestling.net. If your podcast service does not work for whatever reason, you can always find the show somewhere is the bottom line. Uh, we will be back next Thursday with another all-new episode, Breaking Down, not Super Showdown. Um, I'll probably be putting the show up pre-Super Showdown if I... I mean, I could always do it afterward, I guess, and review the show, like an immediate aftermath. I'm not really sure. Uh, but either way, we will have AEW Revolution predictions next Thursday right here on WrestleRant Radio. You can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham the GSM Matthews and also on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So with all that being said, guys, have a great rest of your week. Have a great rest of your weekend. Depending on when you're listening to this, I'm Graham GSM Matthews and I'll catch your ass down the road. Oh,